You can be opening your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. We're going to begin in chapter 1 and wind up in chapter 2. It's page 1145 and we'll flip over to page 1146 as we go. Um, in the Pew Bible there, you might have a different Bible and that's perfectly fine. We're in 2 Corinthians. Today, uh, in this series on God's powerful and our weakness in 2 Corinthians, today I want to talk about the power of forgiveness. This is a subject uh, I seem to return to a lot, um, but it seems like I need to a lot. Um, I need it. Uh, you need it. We all need it. We need to understand how to forgive because God tells us that if we don't forgive others, he won't, he won't forgive us. And uh, his forgiveness came first. He forgave us of all of our sin of everything we've ever done, but even of the sin nature that dwells in us, he put that to death. And, and so um, now we are a new creature in Adam, but we still have this echo of sin in us that causes us uh, to, to do wrong things. And, and last week, uh, we took the Lord's table. And often when we do that, and, and almost every time, I want to talk about preparing us to take the Lord's table. How do you prepare yourself to do that? It's not just... We show up, sit down, and do it. It ought to have some preparation. In fact, we went over that today in the new members class. And, and I failed to do that last week at all. And so I want to read one verse out of 1 Corinthians where uh, we were reading it. Here's what uh, Paul wrote uh, about the Lord's table. He said, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. And that's 1 Corinthians 11 and that's verse 27. And so... In that, in that verse, I need to understand what does it mean unworthy. And there are several options there. And one of them would be, you're not even a Christian. You don't really believe in Jesus. You're not, you've never come and surrendered total control over to him. Uh, that, and, and you never became a follower of his. So that'd, that'd be one thing. Another thing would be, you are a believer and you've got a sin nobody knows about but you. And you're not going to give that up. And uh, God knows that. You think nobody knows it, but God knows it. And, uh, and, and so you're kind of saying, I know you broke your body and shed your blood for me, but I choose not to take what that did for me and apply it in my life. I'm going to keep sinning. And that's kind of spitting in his face. But another area of our life that we might ought to get right is we might be at odds with someone. Somebody might have hurt you. You may have hurt someone. And it probably... If you, if you think you're hurt, you're probably blind to people you did hurt. And, and so we ought to think about that and go make restitution where we can. We ought to restore the relationship. Discipline, and we're going to talk a little bit about that, but discipline is always for the purpose of restoring someone back into the family, and in our case, the family of God. And, and so if you're taking the Lord's Supper and you're holding a grudge or somebody's holding a grudge against you, that, that's not good. It's not good for them. And, and you ought to straighten that out. Now, if you're holding a grudge and they don't even know that they needed to hold a grudge, they don't know that you have a grudge because they didn't even know they did anything wrong, just let go of the grudge and love them, okay? And don't love them by going, hey, I've been mad at you because one day I walked past you and you didn't say hi to me. Um, I've seen people do that. In another place, my, my music pastor, he was deaf in one ear. He could hear more out of one ear than most people can hear out of two. It was amazing. And somebody told me one day, he's so unfriendly. So what do you mean? So I saw him in Walmart. I, I called out to him and he didn't even answer. I said, what side of his body were you on? 
What do you mean? I said, well, you know, he's deaf in his right ear. He can't hear anything. Oh, oh. So she jumped to a conclusion, which is the only exercise some people ever get. Um, and, and, and was holding a grudge against somebody who didn't even know anything had happened. So in that case, you know, grow up. Let go of it. And don't, don't worry about it. But if there's a problem, you ought to make it right. Because when we don't forgive a brother or sister in Christ, we are automatically outwitted by the devil. This is Satan's trap to us to hold a grudge and not forgive. Satan traps you, and then you, you become ineffective for God. Here's a statement I would love for you to take home with you today. It says, forgiveness strengthens the entire body. Now, I'm going to tell you, I mean body two ways. It'll help your body. If you don't forgive, if you don't let go of stuff, it will become a cancer in your life. And I mean that literally. I know people suffer from physical cancer, and that's a horrible thing. But it will eat you up emotionally and spiritually, mentally, and physically from the inside. It will eat you alive. But I mean for the health of the church body. The Bible says we're a body, and it used the illustration that if one part of your human body suffers, the whole body suffers. If you've got a pain in one place, your whole body's going, you know that spot hurts, don't you? <laughs> and it's calling for help from the rest of the body. And so in our, in our body of believers here at Calvary, if someone's hurting, we ought to all feel that. If someone's rejoicing, we ought to rejoice with them. We ought to love people. We've complicated Christianity. Here's what he tells us to do. Go tell people about Jesus so they can be saved. And when they get saved, teach them how to love each other. And that's about it. We're supposed to be, love our enemies. We're supposed to love people that do hate us. That don't know Christ. We, God calls us to love. But we live in a culture of hate. I don't know if y'all have been keeping up with the news for the past 10 years. But we, got, we, we just are more divided than ever. And everybody's throwing stones at everybody else. And the church isn't supposed to be that way at all. We are supposed to be one in Christ. And have God's love flowing through us. And so I want us to look at this passage. It, it's, it's about uh, 13 verses. I'm going to read them. I want you to follow along with me. I'm going to start in chapter uh, 1 of 2 Corinthians. Down in verse uh, 23, actually. I think I said 22, but 23. And Paul says this. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy that you stand firm in your faith. Chapter 2, verse 1. For I made up in my mind, or I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I've pained? And I wrote as I did so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Now, if anyone has caused you pain, he's caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by his excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him, for this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I've forgiven, if I've forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. So that we would not be outwitted by Satan. That's where I got that phrase earlier. For we are not ignorant 
of his designs. Would you pray with me in this moment? Father God, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you loved us when we weren't lovely. You loved us when we hated you. When we were your enemy, you died in our place on a cross. And so, Lord, we find it sometimes hard to love each other. And you said that we would be known to be your disciples by our love for one another. So if we're carrying hatred, nobody's ever going to know that we know you. In fact, we may not know you if we carry that around. So, Lord, we pray that indeed today... We will let go of hate and animosity and struggle and that we would love each other just as God has loved us. Lord, we ask you now for your protection. We ask you to bind our enemy for us and rebuke our enemy. And in Jesus' name, give us freedom to understand your word. Give me freedom to speak it. Lord, I know I'm not capable of this, so I pray that you would help me and that you would say, uh, speak through me so that uh, we can understand your word. And we ask it not because we can understand, but the Holy Spirit can give us understanding and we ask it in Jesus name amen well God bless you well in, in these first chapters I'm gonna turn my clock back over so I know how late I am gonna be because you know I'm gonna be late but not really I'm gonna try not to be so first I want you to see that God Paul calls God to be his witness now can you imagine being in a court of law and you're being accused of something and they say, okay, you can call your first witness, and you say, God? <laughs> you go, uh, what do you mean, God? That's what Paul's asking for. He said, listen, you can check with God. He knows my heart. He knows where I was. Because these people have something against him, and they have something against him because somebody in the church had something against him. And when he visited them before, he had to speak harshly about a, about a situation. And then they started twisting things. And when Paul said, I'm going to come, but he didn't get there, they said, oh, that Paul, he's a liar. He doesn't know what he's talking about. We covered a little bit of that last week. And now, and by the way, numbers were put into the scripture by men years after it was written. This used to be one flow. And so this is the beginning of a new thought in chapter 22, and it flows into chapter 2. In verse 22, he said, I call God to witness against me. The reason I did that, it was to spare you that I refrained from coming. And what, why did he need to spare them? Because there was still a turmoil going on. I think I mentioned it. I'm going to mention it again. There's more than two letters to the church at Corinth. There's at least three. Most people believe four. I don't know a whole lot about that other than we believe there was one in between here, maybe two in between here. And so in the first book to the Corinthians, he tells them what to do. And when he shows up, obviously there's a controversy and he writes them a letter from afar, and now he's explaining why he didn't come back, why he sent a letter instead uh, here in these verses, and he's, and he's making uh, uh, an explanation of it. And so the first thing he talks about, he, ref he refers once again uh, and reconfirms his integrity by calling God to be his witness. Now, I know people can say, with God as my witness, and lie through their teeth, but they are habitual liars. Is Paul a habitual liar? No, he's very honest. He's very truthful. He's even honest about himself as he writes in, in, in the Word. And so, he says, you can ask God about it. I, I, I wasn't lying to you. And then he, he's talking about his authority. He said, the reason I didn't show up, it was to spare you. What does he mean to spare you? Because he knew when he showed up, it's going to explode. Him just showing up made people angry. There were some people that didn't believe him, didn't trust him. They wanted to be the big shots. And so if Paul showed up, we're going to have a big explosion. 
And so Paul said, I didn't come because I didn't want to cause all that controversy. I didn't want to cause all that conflict. And so I refrained from coming. And then he said, not that we lord it over your faith. I want you to catch the humility of Paul. I've always thought of Paul as this real firebrand, hot-headed guy. And, and obviously people in the Bible did too. Because later on he, he's going to say, they always say that my letters are strong, but my personal presence is weak. He said, in, in another place, he said, when I get there, you're going to find out that's not true. <laughs> he, he could handle problems that needed to be handled. But at his heart, he, he wanted to be gentle. He wanted to be kind. And that's what he's saying. He said, I don't lord it over you. I'm not saying I'm the expert. I'm not saying I'm right and everybody else is wrong. But we work with you for your joy to stand firm in your faith. He said, I'm, I'm just trying to work with you. I'm trying to help you know how to stand in the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not saying I'm the boss and you got to obey me. I'm saying... Together, we got to stand together. Amen? You know, a couple decades ago, the army came up with a new slogan, an army of one. It wasn't long until they dropped that because you can't have an army of one. Only in the movies do you have one guy can beat up everybody. And nobody can stop a bullet, okay? Except Superman and he don't exist. Right? You with me? And so when we start thinking that, well, I'm on this island by myself and I'm the, I, I, you know, I know God's up there, but I'm really the almighty. I'm the, I'm the guy that knows everything and, and everybody will listen to me and all of that. We're not helping each other. It's when we can humble ourselves and say, hey, this is something I think the Lord gave me. Maybe it'll help you. And they say, wow, that is good. Let me show you, tell you what God told me. And we start strengthening each other. Say, how, what is your struggle? How are you struggling to witness? How are you struggling in your marriage? How are you struggling in your parenting? Or how are you struggling as a, as a single person or a married person or a grandparent or whatever the case may be or as a child, as a teenager? And we start encouraging and helping one another. That's what God called us to do and be. And we've complicated it. We make it all about programs and Dressing, how we dress and dressing up to come to church and all that stuff. And so in chapter 2, Paul says, and, and here's what I want to talk about in, in this part. Paul shows the love of a father. He also says this in Thessalonians. He says in, in, in Thessalonians, he said, I dealt with each one of you as a father deals with his children. That, that's pretty amazing because that was a lot of people. But Paul dealt with them in an individual basis. And, and I think that's important for us to understand. We ought to help one another individually, but we also ought to help as a group. And so that's why we have things like Sunday school. We're in a smaller group to help each other. Because you can come in here, sit there, listen, and leave. And you may or may not get anything. You may or not want to change your life. You may, not or, may or may not get any encouragement. You come and you listen to me lecture, and some of you may be bored, some of you may be excited, and there's a whole bunch of people in between. And then you go home, and you're just looking at the back of somebody's head the whole time. But in a small group, you've got to look at each other, and you've got to live life together. And so it helps there, but it really helps if there's an individual relationship where you can sit down, and you can be vulnerable, and they can be vulnerable, and you can trust one another. And Paul says here, he shows the love of a father. Look what he says. First of all, he again says, I was mo motivated to not cause you pain. He says in verse 1 there, for I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. So he had made a visit that turned into a painful visit. But then he says, I, here's why I sent you a letter. So it wasn't 1 Corinthians, it was another letter. 
For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one who I pain? He said, if I pain you, then you can't make me glad because I pained you. So I didn't want to show up and have the pain. He said, so I wrote as I did so that when I come, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. In other words, I want to give you time to read this and think about it and settle it before I show up. I don't want to walk into a hornet's nest. I want y'all to go ahead and take care of the hornet's nest. So when I show up, we can just move on and get to some other things. That makes sense, doesn't it? I think in our world today, we, we struggle because we, we use messaging and email and that. And I can't read emotions. I can read words. And I'll put a different emotion on the words than you did. And now I go, what are you saying? Did you? And sometimes you, you ought to read it back to yourself out loud. I'm, I'm known for texting. And then they go, you know, what's a whatchamacallit? Well, I didn't write whatchamacallit. And I look and go, oh, yeah, sure did. How about that? It autocorrected, you know. And it's like autocorrected to something I didn't mean to say. But we'll jump to a conclusion again, you know. Instead of going, uh, did you mean that? Or we'll send it to the wrong person. But we, when you're face-to-face, you can't do that. Because we can tell what's going on with the person. But Paul says, but I wrote to you, I want you to figure this out. I want to give you time to sit on this, to to figure it out so that you could settle it. And so when I come, you wouldn't suffer pain from me. And then in verse four there, he says, I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart. Did you notice that word affliction? If you were here when we were preaching in chapter one, he talked about the comfort God gives to those who are afflicted. And I fell in love with that Greek word, flipsis. It's just a funny sounding word. I like saying it. Flipsis. Right? And it means anguish. It means a broken heart. He says, I have this, this affliction and anguish of heart. And here's good old tough Paul. We think of him as tough as a, as a walnut. And he says, and with much tears. Many tears. I didn't want to cause you pain. And I wrote to let you know the abundant, over flowing love that I have for you. Now, I want to pause here before we get into the next part, which is the main thing I want to talk about, is Paul had to speak the truth in love. And, and to someone who doesn't understand that, it looks like anger or hatred. And Paul is saying, I had to tell you the truth so you could be right with the Lord and we could be right with each other. We call that today tough love. It doesn't help anybody when you let them wallow in their sin. I tell this story a lot, so you may have heard it. But I'm going to tell it again so you can hear it again. A long time ago, I had a friend. He was fussing and messing. And he was always this calm guy. And he was just fussing, carrying on. I said, man, what's your problem? And he started telling me all the stuff that had gone wrong. He said, don't I have a right to be upset? I said, well, yeah, I guess you do. He went, don't you let me live in that kind of sin. I don't have a right. I belong to the Lord. I don't have a right to be grumbling. About it. I'm like, okay, dude, whatever. You know, freak me out. It's like he wanted me to tell him the truth, and I, I, I failed. So sometimes when we tell people the truth, they may not want to hear it. But you ought to do, tell the truth in love. That's what Paul said. It's out of my abundant love, I told you the truth. And I wanted you to get that and to understand it. Because I do love you. Sometimes love requires us to do the hard thing. And we ought to do that with our own broken heart. Remember, God also used Paul to write Galatians. And that was the first book he wrote. So I'm sure he had this in mind. He said, when a man's overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. 
lest you too become a castaway. See, if you go saying, now listen, I got this right and you need to hear me. Well, now you're in danger. Well, you've already sinned but because you got pride, but you're in danger of falling into the same sin. And so we are to go with gentleness and meekness, but speak the truth. Does this make sense? Y'all are real quiet, so I don't know if you're mad, bored, or going, hmm, that's good. I don't know. So just, okay, so as long as you're understanding me, I'll let Lord do all the application there. So we come to this, this last part where Paul says that he desires that they would forgive the repentant sinner. Notice those words. This guy had repented. Because when we look at the text, he says, you're still fussing a guy that repented. Don't do that. So I want us to look at that. So first of all, he asserts he wasn't the one that caused them pain. It was the one who would not forgive the repentant man. Look at verse 5. Now, if anyone caused pain, he's caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, he caused it to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. He's saying there's this guy, and he needs to repent and he, uh, of not l- loving the repentant guy. We don't know who that guy is that needed everybody's love. The only hint we have is in 1 Corinthians. Some, some people don't believe it's that guy. They think it's somebody else. But in the very first book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, there was a man in the church, and he said... This is a horrible sin that's among you. It's reported that a man has taken his father's wife. So this guy is committing ancestral adultery. And he said, obviously he's not getting it right. And Paul says, such a one, I'm going to turn him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his soul will be saved. So Paul believes this guy's a believer and going to heaven but he says, I'm going to turn him over for the destruction of his flesh. Now, I always read that as, I'm asking God to kill him. But I've just understood something else. That may not be exactly what Paul meant. could be. But it could also be the destruction of his fleshly desires. That that would be killed. Now, I think you're going to turn him over to the devil. The devil would encourage that. So, it's probably physical. But whatever the case, when this dude heard it, he went, I'm out. No, I ain't going to do that anymore. Sorry. And he repented. He literally repented. I'm going to talk a little bit about what repentance means. But there was somebody in the church couldn't get over it. And they keep after it. And they keep after it. And they keep after it. And that's what he's talking about in 2 Corinthians. Because he assures them of his forgiveness in the presence of Christ. He said in verse 7, uh, or, or, or down there later, um, if I've forgiven anyone, I forgave them for your sake. He's saying, I, I didn't need to be the one to forgive them. But if you don't forgive, it plays into Satan's design. Notice how he follows this through. In verse 6, the punishment of the majority is enough. You, you've done it. The church rose up together and took care of it. Now turn and forgive and comfort him. Or you may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. This person had obviously repented. He had, he had agreed. But they just kept hammering. So I beg you to reconfirm your love, reaffirm your love for him. For that's why I wrote that I might test you to see whether you're going to be obedient in everything. I wrote to you to do it, to refer, forgive him and re, if he repented. But you kept after him. And then he says, 
Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, I've forgiven if I've forgiven anything that's been for your sake in the presence of Christ. This man had repented and they still were ostracizing him. And that's what the Bible calls us to do. If a person's in open sin, we are to speak to them individually, then two or three, then as a church, and they don't listen to the church, then you say, guess what? You're not part of the family anymore. And then you treat them like they're not part of the family until they repent. And then when they say, don't say I repent, they do repent. I'm going to talk about it now. Then you say, great, let's restore this relationship. Let's get it right. And you come back into the family. Now, let, let me help you understand this a little bit better. First of all, Satan attacks on believers can result in a broken relationship, right? Because to not forgive plays into Satan's design. Unforgiveness is Satan's trap. And this outwinning is a mental game where he takes advantage of Christians. Satan will take advantage of you if he, can, if he can do this in your brain. Because what they are doing is covetousness. They covet the desire to keep punishing the person. They want to keep feeling that feeling. So Satan attacks people and it, breaks, it always re results in a broken relationship. It results in ineffective ministry in the church. It re results in wasted years on this side of eternity. We've got a limited amount of time. But when we let Satan get us to live in unforgiveness, we waste valuable time that we don't have. So the best strategy, one of his best strategies Satan has is, is unforgiveness and long-standing bitterness that comes with that. And that's why Paul is, urges them to be quick to forgive those. And God calls us and Christ calls us to forgive those who sin against us. Because to carry that grudge just hurts you. It doesn't hurt them. And you got to let go of it. Here's some verses that Paul also wrote. Be angry. Do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. That's Ephesians 4. And uh, also in Ephesians 4, he goes on to say, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and, and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Satan, number one, doesn't want you to believe he's real. There's a, there's a lot of people sitting in churches that don't believe Satan's real. Let me tell you, he is real. And there's more than one. There's a lot of evil spirits. Amen. Okay, good. And all of them are the spirit of Antichrist. Okay? They may not be the Antichrist that we talk about. But they all carry the spirit of Antichrist because they are anti-anything Christ. Some people believe, well, yeah, he exists. But he doesn't really bother people. Are you kidding me? He, he, he promises them stuff that he's never going to give them. So, they're demons of plenty, but they, but they all are evil. And to ignore Satan is foolish of us. To fear him is cowardly. And to defeat, to defeat him is what God desires of us. And we defeat him by not playing the same game he does. We defeat him by not having unforgiveness. We defeat him by not having anger and wrath and malice and jealousy and all those things. We defeat him by having God's love in us and show that forth. Now, I want to be real clear on some things. And this is basically the conclusion. Time is about gone. You may be asking, well, how do I forgive someone? You may realize somebody needs to forgive you or you may, I need to forgive someone. 
But I want you to understand, listen to this statement carefully. My forgiveness is not dependent on what anybody else does. If they ever say, I'm sorry, if they, if they, if they never say, I'm sorry, if they never repent, I'm still called to forgive. When you understand the definition of forgiveness, you'll get that. Forgiveness is me giving up my right, which is my legal right, to revenge. If I'm going by the law, i got a right to revenge. But if I'm going by Christian law, I cannot revenge. I cannot get revenge. Jesus said, leave all that to the Father, because he knows better than you do. Make room for God. When you step in and go, I'm going to get them back, God goes, okay, fine, you got it. You know, that'd be like some big guy about to hurt you in an alley and Superman shows up and you say to Superman, I'll step aside, I got this. No, you just step back, let him take it. Say, sure, man, go ahead. Because why? Because you know he can handle it. And so God calls us to get out of his way and love them and pray for them and ask God to bring them to himself. And then God will do what God knows best to do. I don't know what's best, but he does. He does that for me as well. And so I give up my right to revenge, and I don't pick it back up. And that's the second temptation we have. Well, I forgive them. I'm not going to go after them. But man, I sure am mad at them. And then, ah, can't do that. I got I to love them. I got I to give them grace. And now, I want to also be clear. You can forgive, but you got to protect yourself from emotional and physical danger. If someone keeps coming after you, get out of the way. Let, get away from that. But that doesn't mean you punch back. It means you just get out of the way. If there's, a, if there's an authority that needs to be brought in, bring that authority and let them deal with it. But, but you don't have to stay under that kind of abuse unless God is pushing in a situation where you know he did. But here's the other thing. I've used the word repentance. I've used the word forgiveness. And I've used the word restoration. And this is where it becomes a little sticky. Restoration can only happen if the other person repents. I can't be restored to you if you go, I don't care, I'm going to keep doing it. Okay, fine, I love you, I'm going to pray for you, I'm not going to hold it against you, but I sure am not going to get around you anymore. That restoration of, of intimacy can only happen if the offender repents. If, you, if, if you, don't, you don't need the other person to repent in order to forgive, you need to free, live a forgiving lifestyle. I've had people come and apologize to me, things they say, whatever. I go, dude, I, number one, I probably forgot right after you said it, but secondly, you're already forgiven because I'm not going to hold a grudge. I like to hold a grudge, but I'm not going to. But without repentance, restoration is impossible because they want, to, they want to continue in their anger, in their mess. And you can't help them. You can't, you can't be in fellowship with that because it just, I've noticed, like I, I, I take black strap molasses every day. It helps your joints. There's a, free medical tip and I've noticed honey and molasses and paint goes places you didn't mean for it to go and you don't even know how it got there right <laughs> it's just sticky it gets everywhere and, and, and a toxic person's like that it just gets all over you and nothing you can do about that because the purpose of discipline is always restoration it's not repentance repentance is necessary but the purpose of the punishment that the body puts on is for that person to be restored to the body and this guy obviously repented and he'd been restored, but some people still wanted to beat him up. And Paul said, quit doing that. You are just playing in the devil's hand. Now you're as bad as that guy. 
So without restoration, you'll have trouble trusting the offender. But by the way, time is, is, is irrelevant in this. In this way. We don't have much time, so you need to do it quickly. But time is irrelevant in this way. He said, oh, but that happened when I was a kid. You still remember it, don't you? Then you might ought to deal with it. Oh, that was 10 years ago. But you remember it, don't you? You might ought to deal with it. You might just need to deal with it with yourself. You might need to deal with it with somebody else. But if it bothers you, deal with it. And you deal with it by facing it. You deal with it like a grown man or woman. You just go face to face and go, look, there's a problem. I want to get rid of it. Uh, I'm sorry for my part. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to treat you like that anymore. Whatever the case may be. And I promise you, you're going to get healthier if you do. And the body will be healthier. Churches split over stupid stuff. And anything you split over except the truth is stupid. When my kids were little, my wife said I couldn't use that word. But they're all grown now, so I'm going to use it. They split over time we meet, color of the carpet, what color we paint on the walls. Do we have a picture of Jesus hanging there? Which, by the way, is not a Polaroid. That's just some weird artist in the Middle Ages drew that. And we fight over that stuff. None of it's important. What's important is I know God. I love God. He loves me. And I love you. Whether you're my enemy, my friend, or my brother or sister. And when we get to that part, we'll start looking like the church. And if we don't, we'll continue to look like a social club. 